Hello, friends. My name is Steve, and we are here today to discuss the children of gods and fighting men with author Shauna Lalas, Layla, and friend Chris. So we will start with some non-spoiler talk, just a few minutes, and then we'll get into the, the good stuff. So just a fair warning, we will be spoiling everything in the in the first book, and uh, maybe we'll get Shauna to slip up and tell us something. For the second book. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. We won't try to do that. Uh, Shawnee, will you give us an introduction? Let us know, uh, kind of give us, let us know about you and your work. Okay. Um, so my name is Shauna Lawless, and I am the author of The Children of Gods and Fighting Men, which is a historical fantasy. It's set in 10th century Ireland. So um, it's a book that hopefully kind of gives you a lot of Irish mythology, a lot of Irish history, um, but also tells its own story um and yeah that's that's really the, the the story and it's thankfully has um found an audience and people seem to be enjoying it which is beyond my expectations i'm having really such a good time <laughs> nice. so um a couple of comments here tori's here hey friends shana's amazing hey tori uh, anonymous agrees from parmita's here so excited I've been looking forward to this for a long time Nice. Glad you can join us. And our friend Chadi is here as well. Chadi. So uh, I guess we can start with some non spoiler We'll just do a quick non-spoiler for people who haven't read the book. Uh, what's the pitch for it? Ooh, I'm so bad at pitching my own story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I suppose um, it is, if you like historical fiction, maybe series is like The Last Kingdom, um, but you like magic or maybe like King Arthur stories or like even things like Game of Thrones, which use a lot of historical um, fiction as like a backdrop maybe to the, to the world building. It's that sort of story, um, but it's grounded in Irish history and Irish mythology, which is, hasn't really been done before. Um, so that's sort of the, the, the new aspect um, to the story. So um, I'm, as I said, I'm awful at pitching my own story. <laughs> so, um, yeah, sorry. Um, but yeah, just, just um, I think probably the influences that I, I would always talk about would be uh, Game of Thrones. It would be The Last Kingdom um, and a sort of a, a merger of those those two types of stories. You mentioned something in the in the afterward, and I was wanting to get this under non-spoiler, but you had you have two common questions that you get when you were asked about the book. Did you want to go over those two questions and why you chose to go the direction you went? Yeah, so I always get asked, um, first of all, it's like, well, why didn't you just do a straightforward historical fiction? Because of a lot of historical characters uh, in the story. And Gormla, one of the main protagonists, was a queen um, of Ireland. And so a lot of people kind of have said, oh, you know, she's an interesting character. You could have just done a more straightforward historical fiction piece. And then the other question is the flip of flip side of that. And it would be, well, why didn't you just write a fantasy story and have um, the same story? But, you know, it could have been inspired by Ireland, but not actually set in Ireland. Um, I suppose you're sort of tying yourself to a storyline by having it be historical fiction based. Um, and I just always find when I when I started to write it, I think because Irish mythology is so ingrained in Ireland and history and culture I find it really hard to write a straightforward historical fiction novel and not have any magic in it it just didn't work it made the story feel like it could have just been set anywhere else 
you know, when you're just talking about battles and scheming and, you know, they're, they're the things that maybe lots of historical fiction novels have from any culture. And I felt by not having the Irish mythology and that kind of the Fomorians and the Tour de Danon, it just lost something. Um, but then equally, because I had done so much research and I, you know, I do a lot of reading about Irish history, um, I knew that storyline so well. And then it felt wrong to then just base it on that and not really talk about Ireland. Um, so I, I tried both ways and it just never worked. And the, the historical fantasy is what came out. And once the story had started, I just felt it was the right thing to do. Um, and I suppose that the questions I'm being asked are maybe people who are thinking about the story from a marketing point of view. So it's much easier to market a fantasy story or a historical fiction story, you know, that those fan bases are there already. You know, whenever you're trying to do something slightly different, um, no matter how good the story is, people are always a bit hesitant to, to back a story like that because they, they're not sure if, um, if, if the fan base will be there. The, the positive side is that you might get both people coming to read it. But then equally, sometimes both fantasy or historical fiction fans might not like it at all, in which case no one's going to come to read it. <laughs> um, but I just felt myself, well, at this stage, I was writing for fun. I wasn't really writing to be published. Um, and so I suppose there was freedom within that. You know, mm -hmm. I, I'll just do what I want. You know, I'll, I'll write the story that I want to tell. And just thankfully, you know, it um, got picked up. I have a follow-up uh, follow question to that. Um, if I understood correctly, you said you had done reading uh, of Irish history. Um, had um, I missed if you said, have you read historical fiction? Is that something that inspired you? Such as, you know, Last King Kingdom and Bernard Carnwell, Carnwell um, and others. I just wondered if if you took some insight from that or, um, you know, or if that even crossed your mind to look into. Yeah, so that is interesting. I do, um, the two genres I read the most are historical fiction and mm -hmm. fantasy. Mm -hmm. And so if you were to take something like The Last Kingdom, there are characters in that story who might be magical. So uh, an example of that would be, um, Gade, I think is her name so she can sort of see the future and she has runes and but it, it's sort of not magical because it's only the tread who believes it because other characters don't believe that she has these magical powers um and so that to me was interesting um another historical fiction series I really liked was by Philippa Gregory and it's the White Queen and the Kingmaker's Daughter, a tour of the, two of the books in the series. And in that, it follows the War of the Roses. And Elizabeth, who is the queen, um, her and her mother do have magical powers in that story. And so even though that whole series is only marketed as historical fiction, there is a magical thread that runs through that story. Um, and so it can, like, I, I did read those series and thought, you know, this can be done. It's not completely 
revolutionary. It's just that both those authors pulled back on the magic enough to just keep it within historical fiction. Whereas I went a little bit further in that it's not that some characters might be magical depending on perspective. I have characters in the story who are magical and it's just that they're keeping their magic hidden. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I do I do love historical fiction and I always love it when there's magical elements in it. They're always my favourite stories. Um, yeah. I think even from when I was reading the pitch or seeing the book especially for the first time, there were certain periods of history and certain types of mythology that lend themselves to basically say they sort of were fantasy. You know, even the Thurian legend has Merlin as a character, and Merlin's been played up more and more or more or less depending on, on the telling of that story. But certainly in Irish mythology, from my point of view, getting brought up, it's sort of always talked about that there was magic. It was a magic kind of land and a, a kind of time. So again, I would feel pregnant. God, I wish there was a bit of this in here that to kind of play it on that a little more because it's far enough back in time. God, anything could be happening. Um, um. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, so I was, again, it was one of the very key things that I kind of went, oh, here, here's a nice story tale, but it's also a fancy tale. This is like the perfect mix for somebody like me, for sure. Yeah. And I think in Ireland as well, um, people believed in magic. My <laughs> granny believed in the little people, absolutely. Uh, she was well, she, she's uh, passed away now but you know that's only my grandmother and you know people here like for example wouldn't cut down hawthorn trees because they're fairy trees so some of those beliefs even though people now don't really believe them but it's not that long ago it's not we're not reaching back hundreds of years like in england where people believed in witches that's mm -hmm. four or five hundred years ago now people in Ireland believed in a lot of this mythology as little as 50 years ago. Yeah, for sure. So it's it's a lot more tangible and some like some people don't know any Irish mythology in Ireland, but most people know some. So, yeah. uh, so for me, it just that, maybe that's why it felt much more natural to have the Irish mythology in the story, because I feel like all that history uh, um, sorry, a lot of our mythology is in our histories anyway. It's not quite as separated yes. as other places. Yeah, Charlie, who says there was it magic for real back then? <laughs> I know. Even if you think back to five, ten years, very famous startup company in, in Ireland was the Little Furry Door Company, which you'll probably be aware of, uh, Sean, where people, they basically sold little tiny doors that people sold to put at the top of their stairwells where people would write letters to the furries so the furries would come and visit their house like kids would be very much it was a very you know successful startup company with a little more than a little wooden door I know. <laughs> you see them at the parks all the time yeah. where people have done little furry corners and there's like tiny mm -hmm. little doors in the trees yeah hmm. it was refreshing to have a different perspective than we usually get in fantasy it was really nice to have a diff something different and fresh it felt very very new well, I think I think I stumbled in on a good moment where the conversation was being had that a lot of historical fantasy um, mythology retellings really focused on Greek um, mythologies, possibly a bit of Norse and then um, King Arthur. And I think there was a you know a discussion was being had as you know maybe it would be nice to get outside those kind of key mythologies and key countries and let's look at what else there is um, and I've definitely noticed there's been a bit of a rise in 
stories that are inspired by African mythologies and Chinese and Japanese and um, like Asian mythologies. And that's brilliant. You know, I love reading those stories myself. I, I like learning about new cultures and new countries. Um, and so while, while obviously when people maybe now think of Ireland, they think of it as being European, but actually Irish culture is very, very different to the rest of Europe. And so I, I, I find that it sort of was something that I hadn't really found when looking for books myself. I did, uh, I did like that at the end of the book, and this is not a spoiler thing, but you, you had a list of um, further historical reading. Um, and that was great because um, when I do read historical fiction, I, I usually find myself starting to look up you know, the characters being mentioned to see, you know, what was the true story or the real story. And um, so that was just a, a nice little perk to have, you know, to get me started. Yes, I know it's very, very important to, to mention the, the nonfiction books that I've read because um, these the people who have written these books have spent literally <laughs> decades probably compiling all the information um, and all the, the histories that we have, because Ireland doesn't have a huge amount in this time period. So, um, you know, some of these, uh, well, the nonfiction writers, they're historians, you know, mm -hmm. they amassed a huge amount of, of information and really made the, the book possible. Yeah, that was really good stuff. So mm -hmm. we'll go ahead and get into some some spoilers. So if you have not read the book, we're about to spoil everything for you. So yeah. you've been warned, <laughs> we're getting into the good stuff. So we'll kick it off with a question from Paramita. She always has the best questions. Uh, my first question to the panel, how difficult was it reading about, I want to butcher all the names, uh, Gorm Flaith and Fondla as modern readers and the challenges of carving out one's identity in such a rigidly patriarchal, patriarchal society? Okay, yes. So obviously the story is set a thousand years ago and you're trying to combine historical reality with um, characters that modern readers can relate to. Um, so there is a challenge within that, especially a character like Gormla, who's not nice. So, you know, she would be, she would be canceled today. She would, <laughs> she is, does very bad things and is trying to get readers at the same time though, to relate to her. Cause nobody wants to read half a book with a character that's just horrible. <laughs> <laughs> and um and I don't think most people are just horrible I think people survive and sometimes have to be ruthless or uh conniving to get ahead and that's that's what she does so yeah I think it's but that's true of today and that that's where you're I, I'm finding you know I wrote this and there was so many scenes or bits of dialogue that I really felt that it felt very realistic that they said that a thousand years ago, but I also feel somebody could say that today and that those same truths would, would hold. Okay. Gorm is sort of likable, though. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, most bad people are likable. Yeah. <laughs> you know, to get anywhere in life, you have to be a bit charming or... Um, clever or you have to have redeeming qualities you know if yeah. somebody is the bad guy and it's like stamped all over their head they don't get too far well Gorm and she's she she isn't terrible she isn't awful 
but she does sometimes she does do awful things yeah <laughs> some things i really appreciate appreciate about her story is that um you know in the beginning her mother tells her you know i i had to sacrifice so much you know to get you to where you you are even though she hated where she was with uh king amlev and then um you know at a certain point i even highlighted it she said something like uh you know i love my son and i i want to be out of this i i never want to be controlled by men again or or something similar that she said so then she's going through all this and then she gets to Angwin. i think i'm pronouncing the name right yeah and um she's basically criticizing Angwin for doing the same thing her mother did which is her mother was a slave and then you know ended up marrying a king and um so she's critic and so maybe you can say well maybe she recognizes her mother in Angwin, her mother's traits and so she's but then you know in the end she turns around and now she's ended up you know the son she loves has actually put her back in a similar position to um you know where she started out at the beginning of the book which was well you know uh, Amlov had died but essentially married to a king, not necessarily of her choice. And um, so I just love that whole um, series, you know, of, uh, I think it shows her vulnerable vulnerability in a good way, you know? I mean, it makes me care a little more about what happens to her because you can see at no matter um, how devious she is, there's there's something there of where she, you know she truly can't get out of that cycle that she's in um yeah. and uh and that's great and just to you know to answer per, uh Paramita's question i really did not um i don't really see it as ancient history i don't see patriarchy as ancient history is what i'm trying to say <laughs> and so when I read about the difficulties of Gornleth and Fola, I, I'm like, I'm recognizing actually, you know, um, not, not those exact situations, but definitely those themes of um, sometimes uh, women or a wife having to take, you know, the step back or get involved in things otherwise they wouldn't have wanted to be involved in. Um, you know, just because of the decisions of the, you know, of other male members of the family. So, um, so I, I really, uh, you know, I don't see it as distant. No. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, that's, that's sort of what I wanted to do with it, because I think there's almost, not no points, but if you're writing something that's very long time ago and it's very unrelatable it's not it's not interesting or it's maybe not um there's no discussion to be had it's just something that happened a long time ago whereas mm -hmm. with this i actually i did want there to be that sort of discussion um because yeah i think a lot of the situations they find themselves in are relatable mm -hmm. i think gormla you know she does everything she can to get herself into a better situation but um for me her downfall is that she doesn't understand that it's not good enough to make things better for herself she really needs to make some 
th- things better for everybody. Mm-hmm. That would put her in better standing if she could do that. Um, and, and in which case, um, you know, with Ongwen, who's her daughter-in-law, um, she's completely unable to see that there are parallels between not only Ongwen and her mother, but actually Ongwen and herself. And to her, they are meaningless because she Ongwen doesn't progress her narrative or her future in the way she wants it to. You know, she's a like a not a meaningless character her, character to her, but she doesn't help her, and so there she therefore she's uninter- uninteresting and sort of beneath her notice. And so that was sort of another point as well, is I suppose um, when I'm thinking about the patriarchy, um, a a lot of the time women do help in keeping those systems where they are. Um, When I was writing this, I did think a lot about the the homes that were in Ireland. Um, What were they called? There were there were homes basically where unmarried women would go to. They uh, they only closed down maybe thirty years ago, but certainly they existed for quite a while. Um, and so the unmarried women would be sent there to have their children because obviously it was a Catholic state at that time, and that wasn't acceptable to have children outside marriage. Um, but a lot of these homes, then the terrible places, um, the mortality rates of the children who were born there were very high, which kind of would show that they weren't really being looked after very well. Um, and then obviously you kind of do a lot of research and it's terrible, obviously, that the church had this system. It's terrible that the states enabled this system. But then I do think about it and think, well, but mothers obviously sent their daughters there and the homes were run by nuns who treated the, the young women who came in very badly and they didn't look after the children very well. And so it's kind of looking at all these sort of systems and structures and thinking, well, why did people act the way they did? And um, I didn't want it to be like an anti-man story um, where it's, you know, everything is always the man's fault because I don't think that's the case either. I think um, there are people that it benefits them to to hold up um, systems that are cruel. And Gormla, I think she she sees that she is damaged by the system, um, but she is content to work within the system to further herself. She doesn't really care about other people being trampled by the system in the same way that she has, that that doesn't matter to her. Um, Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. That that was it, was finished. No, you've just reminded me of the the other situation with the young girl who, um, I forget his name, but supposedly snuck into her home and cut all her hair off. And Gormleth said, you you still, you know, she told the mother, you can either marry her to him or pay a fine. And the mother said, well, I have two young boys. So I'm not sure if boys, if it matters, if they're boys or girls, but uh, the mother definitely um, decided to avoid the fine and, um, you know, pretty much put her daughter on her life's course against her will. So that's just another example, I think. Um, but it reminds me of, um, you know, George R. R. Martin did the same thing where 
the characters are stuck within a system, whether they're men or women. And I kind of see, I see that same thing here, yeah. what you're doing. Yeah, I think um, I, I do quite like, because um, so obviously this is a fantasy story, but I always prefer fantasy stories where the people feel very real. Um, for me, that, that allows the fantasy um, to thrive. I think if you're having a fantastical setting and people could go off and do crazy things or it, it doesn't work, it just doesn't work for me. I don't feel like I'm very grounded um, in the story. So, and kind of, you know, if, if we're talking, and it's set in Ireland, so I have to stick to kind of how Ireland was at the time. So, uh, yeah, so the, the realism is is very important. And, you know, no one's no one in Ireland at this time is completely reinventing Irish culture or um, how things are. So it's important to show how it operates in the good aspects and mm. in the bad aspects. And so in this case, um, and uh, but again, I, I put that story in. I think I told Steve and Chris about this before, that that was based on a, am I the, like, what's it? <laughs> um, what do you call it? Is it am I the, oh no. Yeah, it is am I the asshole um, yeah. things where, somebody puts a post up and they're like am I the bad guy in this situation and it was about a girl who had her hair cut off by her father because she had she had put highlights under her hair so um but I also feel it kind of it, it kind of feeds into that narrative so this girl has been attacked but essentially Gormla is able to flip the trial around to make it be that it's actually the girl's fault and the mother's fault it's not actually the person who attacked her that needs to bear any responsibility and again, I think that's something that we talk about a lot when when young women or older women are attacked or assaulted, that, you know, the questions of what were you wearing? Did you have anything to drink? Were you flirting with this person beforehand? And you kind of get asked these questions as if somehow it's your fault that you have been assaulted. And that's a conversation that I think is being talked about a lot at the minute. And um, yeah, so it sort of made its way into the book. One of the main points of my review as well is that you had these two basically hero characters in Gormla and Fola, right? And a lot of like what seem to be weak male characters, yet are two strong female characters in their own little ways, are supporting the patriarchy. I mean, they're very much encouraging, you know, the existence of, of the, what the common rule was at the time, but have their family <laughs> be prominent in that rather than kind of anything else. And it kind of fits with that Irish mommy syndrome that an awful lot of first sons even to this day are still like they're the golden child and they will be pushed forward you know yes. modern society still it still exists to this day it, it definitely does um yeah no so it's um yeah so i didn't want i wanted you to feel like you're in ireland in the 10th mm. century and so i had to have the systems there that i thought would be authentic and i read like the breton laws and um the legal system was in place at the time and how the laws operated and actually, they were very uh, good, actually, the laws that were in place. They were fair to women and men, and divorce was allowed, and um, compensation needed to be given to women when they were hurt. You know, so it, the law, the legal system was quite fair. But obviously, um, I think in application, possibly not so much. Uh, and, and you can see that, actually, when you read some of the histories 
that are in place where kings do bad things and they don't necessarily get punished. So you know, it's, it's all all interesting and I kind of, yeah, so I, I definitely put modern themes and modern situations into into 10th century Ireland and to, to try and see how, how the two women coped and to kind of make the reader possibly think about, is that something that happens now and how do I feel about it? Um, I don't like books that are preachy. So I try to write all the scenarios in a way that you, the reader, can make up your own mind as to like, do you like Gormla or not? Some people love Gormla, some people hate her. <laughs> and for me, that is like what I wanted. Like, I don't want to tell you how to feel about any character or any situation. I want you to think about it. I, I was a fan. I don't know. I liked, I liked her character. <laughs> Uh, another another question from Paramita. Same question specifically to Miss Lawless. How difficult was it to write about mm. Gormflaith and Fonla as modern as a modern woman, knowing the insurmountable challenges they face as women, mothers, and mages? Yeah. So it, it, look, it can be difficult. I think um, mothers aren't normally the protagonists in stories. I feel like mothers are normally the characters that get killed off in chapter one and two, and then you know they're avenged by other characters. Um, so I, I did, I like that aspect. Um, I'm a mother myself, I have three kids. And so when I was writing this story, they were all probably under under nine or eight anyway. And so I quite liked having a story that I felt I could relate to a lot. Um, and I hadn't seen a lot, you know, you, you, you don't see maybe mothers just, just so much. Um, although maybe Game of Thrones is sort of an exception where you do have um, like Caitlin Starks and Cersei Lannisters and they're all they're very well written as well. But also characters that, that uh, are supporting their male, their male children, male, you know, brothers, husbands, etc. the whole way through. Well, so that that is what happens in book one. So I'm not going to spoiler book two and book three. But um, some of the characters do eventually decide, ah, yeah, maybe supporting good. some of these these male characters in my life good. Isn't, isn't such a good thing. Maybe I need to start yeah. looking out for myself. <laughs> you know, I did. I did uh, like some of the male characters. I mean, I liked the male characters. I I sympathized with some of them. I sympathized with Citric, um, who, who was being his mother is overbearing uh, to him and. Um, he, he has his own mother-son issues to wrestle with. And uh, I wasn't against, you know, Olaf um, advising him, you know, to separate some from his mother. Yeah. And um, Harlan is another one. I, I really think the character Harlan was very interesting because we saw two sides of his death, you know, and how he's revered in his own world his own family uh but yet he's seen as like this giant almost monster you know um on the battlefield and um and so we didn't i didn't know a lot about him but i had it helped me have sympathy for him as a father you know and um just uh, i thought that was wonderful how we saw we could see him from through different frameworks yeah I love Harold. He was one of my favorite characters um, because he was such a good father and he loved his daughters and he loved his wife and he wasn't ambitious. He was sort of the opposite of what all the other 
female characters were and wanted to be and like you know he was just happy with his family <laughs> um yeah. and he was just like the big brother to Citric and uh did did what Citric wanted him to do and um yeah so he, he was an important character in that I didn't again like I didn't want it to be anti-man I wanted to have lots of male characters that you liked so that would be like Lunon um Harold Citric Mirka um you know where you know they're good people but they're also trapped in this system mm-hmm. um it's a system that's you know it's established for thousands of years it's it's hard to break um Ireland at that time is a very very feudal um it's like a, a clan system that is very violent uh, and to be king is everything and that's the system that they they are in and it's hard for them to get out of the system and Harold is the one man that actually was able to just leave the system but just purely through um strength of character that that ambitious side which was so revered and expected he just had zero interest in uh, and he was mocked you know there's a few times where he's mocked for that and he just doesn't doesn't care and so that was important to show that you know it's possible to kind of leave this away but you you have to decide to do that you know that's interesting you said that i'm reading um i'm actually i teach literature and I'm um, uh, teaching this uh, book called Celestial Bodies. I don't know if you've ever heard of, heard of it, but it's uh, the author is Omani and someone asked her about patriarchy and she said, you know, patriarchy impacts men as well as women because it limits men's choices too yeah. and um, calls them to play roles. So I just think it's so interesting you've said the same thing. Yeah, I, I I definitely think so. I think, um, especially like I'm I'm actually writing the third book now, and um, but so the story has evolved and expanded, and like yeah, the, the the men are trapped within the system in some ways themselves because you're if you want to be king, then you have all this responsibility. Anyone can take the kingship away from you. It's not like in England or the rest of Europe where it's only really possibly your son or um, maybe a brother would turn against you in Ireland, cousins, uncles, nephews, Mm -hmm. uh, sons, grandchildren, anyone within like five generations of a king can become the next king. So, you know, if you want to be king, it's really hard to to keep hold of it. And the, the success thing for being a king was to be a great warrior. And so how, how else can you keep hold of something other than to fight? Okay. You know, so so definitely, like, especially maybe the character of Marka, you know, he he is he is fighting within a system that he believes in, he believes in what he's doing, but um he 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 realizes it's not a good thing. There's some things about the system that really aren't great. And that's interesting too. And that's that's why I suppose I spoke earlier about the the mother homes in Ireland, you know, it's when people talk about the, the patriarchy, it's kind of sometimes when it, it's being discussed, it's just like you know, the bad men. But really, I think and, so, and, it, and it only affects women, but it doesn't affect the whole society, everybody in it. And anyone who thinks outside that structure, you know, can get attacked, anyone, male or female. So um, I think that's that's realistic to life. And again, I wanted I wanted the book to feel really realistic and for men and for women to read it and to feel 
a connection with the characters. And um, just real quick, Lonan, is it Lonan or Lornan? Uh, Lonan. Lonan, I'm sorry. Lonan, um, he had a role to fulfill and died for it when, um, you know, he wanted, would have wanted to be home with his son, I'm sure, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah, well, well that's it too, you know. Um, it's actually funny, when I was researching Ireland, um, prior to the Viking invasion, Ireland was in a situation of population decline. Um, the population was actually getting smaller at a time in Europe where it was increasing. And I definitely think that kind of fighting system, that clan system would have contributed to that. That, you know, everyone is, is fighting and, our, you know, Irish history is really just full of wars. And um, even in modern Irish history, that, that has continued. Um, but then any, like, when I think of Irish men, like, that are in my family, you know, father and uncles, you know, everyone loves their kids and, you know, no one would want to be parted for, from them. So I kind of thought about um, kind of the male relatives in my life and felt about how, how would they feel? You know, you, yes, you have to go off to war, you're being called up, but like not very many people I know would actually want to go. Cool. Yeah. Of course, you, you want to stay with your, your children. Uh, I Anonymous had a, a comment. I love the names. I was curious where, how you went about choosing names. Were there inspirations or how did you, because I, I really, when there's really long names in fantasy, it like takes me out of the story. So I appreciated that they were shorter and easier to get through. Well, I did try my best. So <laughs> <laughs> with the historical people, like you have no, um, no choice. You have to have to call them their names. Um, so but they, they mostly weren't too bad, but like Turlock, who is Marcus' son, who looks like Tardelback, but it's actually Turlock, is how you would say it. He's sort of the worst name, but most of the other names were okay. But for, for other people, so for the like fantasy people, I really did try to use names that were a bit shorter <laughs> and easier to pronounce. Because I know, I, I, it's Irish, it's a completely different language. So, and it isn't like in the Irish alphabet, there's only 16 letters. So lots of the signs mm. are made up through letter combinations uh, as opposed to just a single letter. So it, it is hard. So I, I did try where I could to keep it as simple as possible. Well, I appreciate it. <laughs> 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 uh, I had a, a comment from Esper. Hey, Shauna. Uh, I think my favorite sequence of the scenes is the one where Fonda chooses not to save Luan. And then does uh, choose to save Merchad. Very powerful. Very powerful and moving. Was this planned from the beginning? Um, no, <laughs> I didn't plan my books. I just write. So, um, like, so for example, the character of Lunon was just initially existed as being the husband to Saive, who is giving birth, and Fula he he Saive um, from passing away. So. And the same, like, Harold didn't exist either. Harold was just, like, a brother that was mentioned at the start. But as I start to write and you have the characters there, it just all developed. Um, I'm, a bit, I'm, a, I'm a pantser in terms of writing style. I don't plot too much. Uh, but as, as soon as I start to create characters, then I find them hard to let go. And then, mm -hmm. um, you know, Harold exists. Well, that's Citric's brother. Like, 
he can't just sit in the feasting hall every night silent. He has to say something. Um, and then the same with uh, Fola. So she's trying to be accepted. She's a spy trying to to do what she's told, but also realizing that she actually starts to like some of these people that she thought she would never like. And so Lunan and Lucrezia were the two characters that I really wanted to bring out to show that these people are nice. I, I've been told my whole life that these mortal men and women are, are horrible and bloodthirsty and I should be very afraid of them. But actually, um, Lunan is this very lovely man and better to her actually than some of her own people. And so that was very important to me um, that, you know, at the start, she is very wary of men and I needed characters to break that down. Uh, Mirka is a, is a prince. So, uh, and they do have a, like a, a friendship and a connection, but I sort of felt I needed someone a bit less bound by duty or to his family. Um, for, for a kind of a friendship connection to to exist um, and of course it's very hard like Fola whenever Lonan dies um, Senna is watching her and she knows that she's not allowed to use her gift and it shall be reported to Thomas and she's afraid of that um, but she hates herself that she's done that because she knows it's wrong and she's again she's following the system that she's been brought up to follow and doesn't act quickly enough like she can't think of what to do whereas when Marka is unwell she's already had this horrible situation happen to her and then so now she has to actually think about it you know why am I doing what I've been told and I, I've obviously got this threat hanging over me that I'll be removed from my nephew if I break any rules but also she's beginning to think for herself and think how you know Mirka's death would be very bad for everyone in Ireland and will impact a lot of people. And, you know, she needs to act as, as she actually thinks and what she believes in. And so that that's sort of her arc. It's sort of coming away from someone who's been quite brain brainwashed, being very controlled, being quite frightened. Um, you know, she's not a brave person. Other characters in her life have acted for her because she hasn't been able to. And so this is her kind of at the end finding um, a bit of courage within herself to to not just to know the right thing, but to actually act on that, which is two different things. You know, lots of us know what the right thing is, but it can be very scary sometimes to to act and to put your head above the above the firing line and to to actually say or do something. So that was that was important for for her. I love the um, love the exploration of that in her in her turmoil of, of Fola, as you say. She's she's the one that's being manipulated. Gormla, in her way, is being the manipulator. So they're kind of on opposite ends of the spectrum at the start of it. But I think as we kind of even by the end of the first book, we sort of come to a point where they're, where they're kind of realizing that their own destiny is in their own hands in some ways, and actually having yeah. some sort of control over that. And then for Mercury to then be the the comfort for the reader. For Fola, if in some ways, you know, he's the person that kind of reaches out the olive branch and keeps her involved and recognizes her for the good person that she is. And we as the reader in turn are kind of like, right, okay, Fola's not in the room here. You know, she's, she's got 
people around her. Yeah. That look out for. Uh, Esme had a question. How did it feel when people started comparing Gormflaith to Cersei? I personally think Gormflaith is superior. The will stop at nothing, Mom. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a huge compliment because um, I love Game of Thrones. It's it's um, you know just one of my favorite fantasy series of all time. Um, but yes. Yeah, so, but the thing about Cersei is, and this is more a TV show Cersei, is that people quite often say, "Oh, well, you know, you're you're this." this and that but you're a good mother that's your one redeeming quality and I don't think Cersei on the TV show anyway I don't think she is a good mother I think she's a terrible mother um <laughs> because well because she doesn't she's not able to control Joffrey doesn't really attempt it as far as I can see um she's obviously very sad her daughter gets shipped off but I didn't see her do anything with her beforehand either and then with oh what's the younger son called Tommen Tommen. Yeah, like terrible. Oh my God. Yeah, like, the proofs the proofs and all the other outcomes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So with um Gormla, I did want to try and make it a bit more like she actively does <laughs> try to like do stuff for Citric. Um yeah, but and and we'll stop at nothing. And but also does well in the same way as Cersei makes terrible decisions on his behalf. So she's terrible to Ongwen, who's his wife. And um doesn't tell him really the, the real reasons why she's scheming and plotting. She gives him plausible ideas as to what she's doing, but it's never really the truth. Um so yeah, but anyway, so, but Sir, I love Cersei. She's a fantastic character, but a terrible mother. <laughs> <laughs> uh Nathan Towns had a question, or a comment and question. Each POV character has such a strong, identifiable, and identifiably different from the other POV's voice. How different? How difficult was it to achieve this? What techniques did you use to achieve this? Great question. Oh, I just think the two characters, um, like I, I suppose whenever I'm writing a story, characters are always first. They're before plots and they're before the story. The characters have to be believable and exist like on their own. And so I suppose it was easier because Gormla and Fola are just completely opposite people. Um, Fola is very much trying to put her nephew first. Um, she's sort of a bit downtrodden. She's full of grief because her daughter died. And she kind of wants to make everywhere better. So she's very naive in a way, but also hopeful in, a, in another way and loves her her nephew um Gorman is just all ambition and scheming and she's very clever and they just they just instantly like in, from from the first chapters of, of of them that I wrote they just work very different and I think when you're doing first person POV um that's really really important you can get away with characters being similar in third person because you can describe their thoughts, like as, as the author, um, you can describe them differently. There's a lot of techniques to make characters feel different, even if they're not very different. But in first person, you absolutely cannot do that because you're in their head. And so their inner thoughts have to feel very, very different. So um, that's why you don't often see like multi POV books in first person. Um, 
the Poisonwood Bible is a book that I think that does that really well that I had, I had read maybe 10 years ago. So I knew it could be done, but I knew in the Poisonwood Bible, um, which is four sisters and a mother who are the POV characters, they were all so different. And so I knew, I knew very from the get-go that that was something I had to nail. Otherwise the story wouldn't work, no matter how good the plot was, no matter how good the story was. If the characters in first person POV don't feel different and don't feel believable, then you know you can't do it. Steve, I think, are you? Sorry. Yeah. Uh, Nathan <laughs> had a comment. Sorry. I, thought I, was, I didn't realize I was muted. Also, I'm with Esper. I never really saw her as a villain, but when she was, even even when she was committing atrocities. I think because you sympathize with her, because um, she's not doing atrocities just on a whim. She's not there thinking, oh, you know, how can I be horrible today and ruin someone's life? She's reacting to the situations she's put into. And also, like, I think, um, you know, if we were put into those situations, would you always be really selfless and put everyone else first? Or would you try to put yourself and your own family on top? And I think a lot of people would would act more like Gormla than they would Fola. So again, I, I, I think I, you can see that. Yeah, I think we look at, at her decisions in, through a modern lens, but like the people she was committing the atrocities to were also committing atrocities. So mm -hmm. like, yeah. You know, it, it was all fair and love and more in, in, in a lot of ways. I mean, it was very much a race to power. Exactly. Uh, it may, as, may as well be her family. Yeah. Uh, Parmit had a question. What was the moment of betrayal like for everyone when Gormflaith was essentially given away like property? Can't wait for her to give it back to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. Gorman is, is going to have some good times coming up. I think up. she'd be fine. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I did see the moment as um, kind of a, a comeuppance to her, even though mm. I sympathize, you know, with with the overall situation of patriarchy. But by then, we'd seen her marry off this young girl, and you know, set off Angwen and all that. And so it was it was kind of relief to see her get a little bit. I'm saying a little bit of pushback, even though it's like committed her to marry this guy, but. Um, so I was ready for that to happen, even though I'm kind of sympathetic to her too. Yeah. Well, that's it. I think I think if um, King Brian had, or Mirka had arrived and there was said, oh yes, we need to, King Brian has to marry someone. She would have married anyone to him, like her nieces or mm. like she marries Geisa off mm -hmm. to Olaf, who she knows is completely unsuited <laughs> to her. Um, you know, so she she does it herself. It's just, it's, you know, it's on whenever she does it, she feels that the reason is warranted. But whenever it happens to her, it's this, you know, she feels very upset by it. But yeah, she she would do it to, to somebody else. Yeah, the unmarried mother houses were sad. Uh, Shelley's comment. Magdalene yeah. Laundries. That's, yeah, that's the Magdalene Laundries. Yeah, yeah. So sort of infamous in, in Ireland and they existed in England as well. Um, but you know, uh, yeah, it, it, it is, it's sort of a part of, part of Irish history that, um, is very recent, but also feels very far away because, um, 
Ireland has changed an awful lot in the last 20, 30 years. Um, but yeah, like, you know, I, I sort of can't imagine kind of sending my daughters away to, to go to those awful places, but yeah. people did because they but felt the, that they had to. Plus they were sort of sending them to be protected by the church in some weird and wonderful way, which is also, you know, that other chapter and story in, in Ireland's history. Uh, I, I read and would recommend actually small things like these by Claire Keegan, a very, very short book if anybody can read it, which touches on the Magdalene Laundries as well. Yeah. So really There's brilliant. been a few movies about it as yeah. well. Um, yeah. Uh, so, and it's been in the news recently because they find, um, they, they, you know, they've started to uncover some of the things that happened at the, the mother baby homes, which I'll not, yeah. not go into, but they're obviously awful yeah. and very sad. And yeah. So, but I, I think those things have happened in every country. I just, um, I'm talking about Ireland because I'm from Ireland and I know yeah. Ireland. And, but yeah, you know, it is, it, it, it's, it's very sad. And I think women are controlled a lot and have been throughout history. And so I think sometimes it's important to have, have those conversations or themes in the books. I think if I'd done a historical fantasy novel where like nothing bad happened to the women or... They were like pedestal women where they were always right and everyone around them was always wrong. I don't think that would have felt very truthful. I think, you know, you need to have things in, but you need to let people think about them uh, themselves. Yeah. Uh, pardon me, though. So many times I went, grr, which is really great writing. <laughs> well, well, thank you. <laughs> that's, the, that's the hardest part. Um, I, I edit and reread and reread my work a lot. My first edits, I call um, they're my vomit edits <laughs> because it's just a story and a dialogue. And I would be mortified if anyone ever read a first draft of my books. Yeah. They're, they're awful. To kind of get the writing to be nice and to flow takes a lot of work <laughs> for me anyway. <laughs> Trading at market is the book. <laughs> yeah, pure book. Pure yeah. book. Uh, Carlos, uh, go on, Shana. Uh, give us all the stabby shenanigans. Cool to see people enjoying and discussing a good Irish book. Harold is the best, no nonsense fella, just chilling with his family. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I love Harold. Um, yeah, and I, it's important I included, uh, as I said, a guy like that because I think that's I think that's the way. If most men in Ireland at that time had their choice, that's what they would have been doing. Mm. You know, they would have just been chilling with their with their families, and he had his lovely wife who was wasn't much to look at, but was very happy and full of fun and laughter, and he loved her. Mm. And you know, that was he was like a good guy. Uh, Parmita, what do people think of the amazing titles, "The Children of Gods and Fighting Men"? Totally see it after reading the book. What will this words of kings and prophets entail? Is that mm. the name of the second book? Yes. Okay. Mm. So do you know what, like a lot of people, I tell them the title and they, they go, what? And <laughs> <laughs> because it's too long. And I'm like, well, it's only, how many words is it? Seven <laughs> words. Um, but yeah, lots of people say it's too long. So, um, but, but a lot of people don't know that there is a book by Lady Gregory who wrote down a lot of the Irish mythologies over a hundred years ago now. And her book was called Of Gods and Fighting Men. So my title is really a play on that story because it contains an awful lot of Irish mythology. 
yeah, so I, I like my title anyway. <laughs> um, and the words of kings and prophets. Yeah, so what will that entail? I'm editing it at the moment. Um, and I don't really want to give too much away, but um, I'm enjoying it. Because <laughs> I handed it in in June. And so I, this is me getting it back now to start the edits. And um, I'm enjoying rereading it because it's been actually quite a long bit of time since I since I wrote it. So hopefully people will like it. I'm nervous that they won't, but I will. <laughs> Yeah, uh, to this to the gentle giant Jason. The titles are great. I love the book. The look of the covers too. Mm. The covers are, the covers really great. Yeah, um, the artist is Michaela Alcano. I think that's how you see her name. Um, you should look up her website. Her she designs loads of covers that you will recognize. She's really really good, really talented. Because um, I know whenever the covers came in, my agent did text me and was like, "Lots of people don't like their covers." So you know just sort of be prepared that you might not like it it's okay we can discuss it and push back if we need to but the covers came in and i just love them they they're just amazing just sort of what i would have wanted uh, the gentle giant jason gorm seems to care more about uh, about what her son can do for her than what she can do for her son mm, yeah there is a little bit of that um because the last line where she speaks to him, um, where she sort of tells him that her, the father didn't give him the, the arm ring after all. Yeah. yeah, so I did want that to be there a little bit where um, she does do a lot for her son, but only in so far as it improves her life. So I suppose she, she feels that if Citric is king, she can just do what she wants. You know, no one's going to marry her off. She'll have her own life because his power will protect her. Um, but of course, it doesn't quite work that way uh, because Citric himself has to keep hold of his throne and that's not so easy. And Gormla is someone that can be married off for alliances, which is what happened all the time in Ireland back then. So I think Gormla thinks improving Citric's lot in life will help her um because she assumes that he will do whatever she says but of course she um he doesn't um i have a question about the mythology um uh specifically the um the fomorians and then the descendants and i i did look up fomorians and read a little bit about background but what differentiates them i might have missed that in the book but what is their i guess uh what is their argument with each other what is yeah okay so both races land in ireland so they're not from ireland but they arrive in ireland and the fomorians um sometimes they're described as giants but not always but they are always described as being greedy so they take from the humans that live there. And one of one of their number becomes a king. He's called Brez. And he would be described as like not keeping a good feasting hall. So not being generous, mm -hmm. not being a good king. And that's like a huge thing. If, if you're a king, you have to feed everyone. That's 
like one of the key responsibilities. So he doesn't do things like that. And he's described as greedy. Um, and the the two of Danon, when they come over, at first they fight the mortals, but then they become very good friends. And so uh, initially the Fomorians and the two of Danon are not enemies, but they eventually become enemies because of how the Fomorians are treating the mortal people, the Irish people, oh. and they're treating them badly. And then the Fomorians um, fight for the for the humans, I suppose. So at that time, the king of the Fomorians is called Baylor of the Evil Eye. So he has like a giant eye in like his forehead that sometimes is described as releasing fire. Other times it's a poisonous gas that causes everything to die. I went with fire because I thought it was a bit more better visuals maybe than like a poisonous gas. <laughs> um, and... Yeah, so they so there's a, a big war that they have. It's called the Second Battle of Moitura, where the Fomorians come to um, fight the, the humans and the Tudadaman who are fighting with the, the mortals of Ireland. And it, it's the theme in that, because um, Lou, who is one of the key Tudadamans, whenever he thinks about fighting them, he talks about freedom and that, you know, you can't live under someone's like tyranny and under slavery. So that that's the kind of theme of why the war is there. It's, it's the Fomorians are essentially enslaving the humans or taking too much from them that they can't really live properly because mm -hmm. they're so greedy. And the two of uh fight for them. And the two of also have like married into the, the, the mortals as well. So there's characters like Cahulan, who's father is Tudadanon and whose mother is a human or like a, a mortal. So the Tudadanon are, are more interlinked with the people of Ireland and the Fomorians. And so that's kind of the basis of, of why they fall out initially in the mythologies. Yeah. So, and I kind of con continued from there. So after, after the battle, Bress is the only Fomorian who survives. All the other one, all the others are dead. Um, but Lou, who's the, the king of the Tudadan and lets him live. So then that that was the original mythology. And then when I got to thinking, I was like, well, what if that feud continued and festered kind of through the generations and the Tudadan and they kind of lose their standing in Ireland. So they're weakened um, because a, a, a human, not a human, like a mortal race called Maled and his sons defeat them and send them underground. So it, as you read on in the mythologies, so the two to Danon leave Ireland, but some of them remain. And then I said, well, what if some of the Fomorians sort of had had children and they were still in Ireland? How would this feud have continued? Mm -hmm. So that's sort of where I got my inspiration from with the mythology and how it was, how that feud is in the novel. Interesting. Hmm. That's really interesting. Uh, Probably thought a question. Uh, will we see a lot of a lot more of the impact of magic in successive books? The nature of magic in the world is so interesting. Yes. So I know some people um, read the book and said they didn't feel there was enough magic in it. Um, I wrote the book the way I thought I needed what I wanted it to be. I needed it to be in which I needed to ground you in the world and who the people are and what the magic is. But as you can see, now that you've got to the end of book one, Gormla is maybe now 
thinking that the protection from her son that she thought she had doesn't really exist. And with Fola, you have that she's been told always to keep her magic hidden, but she's broken that rule. So in book two um, and then three, you, you, do, you see a lot more magic and you see a lot more of that mythology uh, and fantasy come through. Because I feel, at, you know, in book two, the world's established. The, a lot of the historical aspects are established. The cultural aspects are established. So I feel the, the magic can now kind of come up a little bit more. Yeah, there's... Really there's... Yeah, I was going to say, there's this overarching threat as well in the first book that you're not... We can't be using the magic. We can't be revealing who we are. Like, it's it's almost, you know, too dangerous to do it. And uh, circumstances mean that they kind of have to, or they decide to. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So I think, you're, yeah, you'll find in book two, yeah, there, there's definitely more magic. And then in book three, there's more magic again. Just having the ability to heal someone and not, you know, having that, having to to know when to do it or you know kind of or be not being allowed to use it is just to be tough <laughs> yeah and I, I really wanted that to be um I suppose it, it is such a powerful gift but to a lot of the other people it's not because like healing people isn't seen as being a good thing um but to Fola it is it is a, it is a huge thing um and it's something that she wants to do. Like she sees the suffering and she really wants to help people. Um, and to, so to me, to have that gift would be like incredible. That would be my favorite gift to have. But to someone like Gormla and then to Thomas, a healer is, um, that's not like an interesting gift. They, mm -hmm. they all want the, the warrior gifts and the witch gifts and the fire magic gifts. They're, they're much more like, well, damaging, I suppose. Um, more powerful, but I personally I, I like the the healing magic. You know, you mentioned Thomas, and now that reminds me of a question I had, which is, there's a part when uh, is it Cork, uh, Cormla, the cousin. Um, anyway, uh, Fola realizes that she's spying on him, and um, at some point um, she realizes that that Tomas um, did not expect her to succeed, but he had sent her out. And I'm wondering if that's because he wanted to be able to do away with um, Brocken, the, the son. You know, was he was there a way to get rid of the, the boy? Um, or is there something more? And is, is that a read and find out? <laughs> or did I miss something? <laughs> yeah, that's a read and find out. Okay. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the gentle giant Jason, uh, will we hopefully see your next book perhaps this summer? Yes. So um, we're trying to release a book a year, is what Head of Zeus wants to do. So book one was released in September. So book two is scheduled for release this September. Um, but I think, so that's in the UK and Ireland and Europe, but in America, I think it was released in November. That's right. Yeah, so it'll, it will probably then be November um, this year. You just try and keep everything roughly a year apart. Make sure you can do your world tour, Shana, you know. If somebody will pay me to do a world tour. 
<laughs> keeps you up. It keeps the chance open, though, doesn't it? You know. I know. I know. You tied up. <laughs> Travel time. Uh, Charlie, do we do we all agree Thomas is not our favorite? <laughs> Does anyone like Thomas? I don't know. I had someone read the book and say that they thought Fola was terrible to Thomas. And um, Thomas was just doing, trying to do the right thing, and she was always complaining. <laughs> <laughs> so, like people do, like you know, they read the characters and they they get what they want from it. But from for me, um, Thomas isn't a nice person. He's he's a very controlling person, and as as you you said, you know, he he set Thola up to fail, um, and part of the reason was um, that he wanted her to come home having failed. And to be more dependent on him, you know, and so yeah, no, so he's he's not he's not a good person. <laughs> my, my only sympathies happen to be that I have have a nephew called Tomas who's bullied by two very uh, overbearing female sisters, <laughs> one of called whom's called Sive as well. So I kind of have like interjected my own little story to oh, play between the characters. <laughs> <laughs> you can write the backstory of Thomas then. <laughs> <laughs> Prequel novella. Yeah. Oh dear. Yeah, Parmita is in India. We usually have the same, same, the same as UK releases, <laughs> Colonial Hangover and all. Yes, I think so. Yeah. I know because I think so whenever I got get the contract, you get the the areas. So it is. It's like UK, Ireland, and the Commonwealth is actually exactly. the the name even of the of the district for for book selling. So yes, I think India. It's within that, and as would be Canada. Oh, no, Canada's maybe in North America, but Australia. Oh no, Australia had a different date too. Okay. Um, yeah, but I think I think most countries outside North America and Australia are, are in this kind of UK Ireland Commonwealth area. Cool. And in, in addition to the names, we talked a little bit about this before we went live, but I really appreciated the length because it's a it's the perfect length. It's not like a I don't have to take a month to read it. It was tight and perfect so and you mentioned that the next book is almost it's just a little bit longer right just a tiny like about maybe four to five thousand words longer um i want to keep them as similar a length as possible uh as i, I said to you before the first novel i wrote was two hundred thirty thousand words <laughs> and which is fine because you know i was writing for fun and wasn't very good at this stage but but i, I don't know like some books are huge and I love them and they're brilliant but you have to really be in the mood to read a long book you have to really you know it has to be your thing and you have to be kind of quite certain uh, and I think for a debut author unless you're in, in, you know, incredible and you're really thinking this is amazing I think it's a bit safer to kind of stick to a bit more of a manageable <laughs> length um, as you say you know you want people to to take a chance on it and I think if if it stuck with that like two hundred thirty thousand word book, you know you're you're reducing the number of people who he will will give you a go. Mm -hmm. yep. Especially if you're kind of also targeting a historical fiction market, which is notoriously a bit shorter, I would yes. say as well. Yeah, that's definitely like fantasy is like people will will give like the, those big epic fantasy uh, chunky books a go because people like that in fantasy. Yeah. Historical fiction, not so much. Although there are some long books, like Wolf Hall is pretty long, and is it The Pillars of the Earth? Oh, Pillars of the Earth by Ken Follett, yeah, his, yeah, his that, are very long as well. That's very long too, but normally historical fiction is shorter. So yes, I, I sort of, well, I wasn't really very 
um, savvy when I wrote it. Um, I just knew my, in myself, I didn't want to write another 230,000 word book again. <laughs> it just took too long to edit. So with this one, I did try to get it to more about the 120,000 word mark, uh, which is where I ended up. It was about 124,000 cool. once it was finished. Yes, I was reading and I was hitting the like however many minutes left in the book and I was like, oh, it's almost over. Like, <laughs> so it, was, it kept me wanting wanting more. So, it's, it's oh, fun. did you listen to the audio book? No, I read it on on Kindle. I take took it with me to work, and I like, when I have a few minutes, I'll get a few pages in, and I'm like, oh, it's almost over. So, oh right, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I couldn't tell the length by looking at the book when I was reading yeah. on the Kindle. I know it's um, hard. It's hard to know because and even sometimes when you have the books, it depends on the size of the print. So sometimes you think a book's very long and it's not. And vice versa. Mm -hmm. uh, pardon me without a question. What has been the most rewarding part of writing this series for you as an author? Um, well, obviously, it was personally a story I wanted to write. Um, and I've, at, up to this point, I'd only ever written for fun. And I didn't give too much thought to being published, other than, I suppose, once I finished this, I thought it was publishable and started to send it out so I think it was just obviously it was amazing finding an agent and a publisher who wanted to publish it but also I've had a lot of messages from people um like private messages just to say how much the book meant to them and that's been incredible because you know with, with every single book out there you'll find one star reviews for any book that's ever been written, whether you think it's a masterpiece or not. But I think what's important when you're writing a book is, is finding that it has connected with some people. Uh, so yeah, when people send, you know, they've taken a few minutes out of their time just to send like a note, um, that, that means a lot. That's lovely. Um, and it's lovely that people have connected to either the characters or the history. I've had a lot of people in Ireland, send me messages just to say that they kind of didn't know this history very well and they read the story and now they're like wikipediaing everything and <laughs> have enjoyed maybe that kind of reconnection to to irish history that they maybe vaguely did and vaguely remembered from primary school and but didn't really know so that's been lovely uh yeah so it's it's just nice to maybe that it's connected with some people yeah, that, that was me. I was I was sort of hoping to learn a bit about Irish mythology, other than the couple of bits that we get, the uh, you know, children of Lear, that kind of stuff. You know, the stuff that's very very famous. You're told very young, and then it's like there's all this other stuff, and you recognise the names, like the Bran Baru name would be something that'd be very famous, but actually, what he did, or you know, where his place was in time, not so sure. Yeah, yeah. So it's sort of like a history, like people know the name, but they don't yeah. really know the history. And yeah, so I've enjoyed that. I've enjoyed um, that people have connected with it and enjoyed after they've read it, after they've read it, I've gone, oh, like, I would like to learn more about this period in history. That's been nice. Yeah, I think that um, is a great, um, that's a great benefit of this book, besides <laughs> being a great story. I think it will um, it will invite more people to find out more about Irish history, and um, you know, and that's what um, I mean. I love the story, but that's what uh, made me think deeper about what was going on. Yeah, 
even though I knew it was fictional, but yeah, there were things to look for too. Uh, Chadi agrees, Chris, not being Irish, but I definitely connected to it. Couldn't stop reading. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's not just the, the Irish history and, and mythology. I think um, like people have connected it for lots of reasons. And I think a lot of people have very strongly connected with Fola or other times really strongly connected to Gormla. And I've loved that as well. Uh, I, you know, that you've created two characters that people strongly identify with or have some of their struggles and that's been something that they have experienced in their own lives uh, and so yeah so I, I think it's just it's, you want to connect you don't you can't connect with everybody like not every story is for everybody but it's nice to know that some people have have got something out of it uh, pardon me this beautiful thank you so much the story really resonated with me as a reader even though I'm from a totally different culture some emotions and themes are universal. Yeah. Absolutely. Definitely. Uh, Lila, Chris, do you have any more questions uh, on, your, on your list? Nothing for me other than to say how nice it was to read a book about strong female characters as a man. Mm -hmm. You know, because it isn't even something that, that I necessarily get to. It's nearly always a single woman against the world, if I'm going to read, especially for, as a fa from a fantasy point of view. That's kind of the only kind of female characters that we really get to to read and uh no that, that was really enjoyable to kind of get this two-handed nature and exploration of, of that as well yeah I, I think um as i said like i've had a lot of men actually really message me to say how much they've enjoyed it yeah. um and that's been lovely too because there are like lots of things in there you know we're talking about um kind of women not being believed or women being feeling that they're they're not able to have choices in life and mm -hmm. things like that which are also true in modern life so i think it's been nice that kind of men have enjoyed to see that and it's maybe maybe because i tried not to do anything in a preachy way i'm trying to just write a story and people can digest it how they want to and i always think that's the best way to talk about things i think if people yeah. feel they're being preached to it's just an instant turn off or um, you end up only talking to people who already think like you anyway, um, which is nice, but it's not a conversation then. And I wanted the book to be a conversation. Uh, so no, I, I'm really glad that people are connecting with the two female protagonists yeah. uh, and they're believable. For sure. Yeah. yeah and you know, I mean, there's so many good things in this book and I, I really enjoyed it. I think one thing I haven't mentioned yet is just, um, you know, the magic system itself, they, they are still within that system. They are not um, all powerful. You know, there's always kind of this feeling in the back of your mind that if someone's magical, then they can do anything, you know, mm. but, um, but they, they have to choose wisely, but they, they do use, they have to hide it. And, um, you know, uh, for Gormla, it can cause more problems than being yes. solved. So I, I kind of like how the magic is represented. Yes. Yeah, really great stuff. Yeah. Uh, well, Shauna, thank you so much for, for you know, we know you're all busy, you're busy, you have books to write and books to edit and books to read. So <laughs> thank you so much for, for taking some time out of your day and chatting with us and letting us gush over your book. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> answer a bunch of questions. Uh, 
thanks everyone in the chat for coming by and interacting with yeah. us. Uh, but before we go, Shauna, if someone wants to get in touch with you, where's the best place to find you? Um, well, I'm fairly active on Twitter um, and Instagram. Uh, so most people kind of chat to me there. Um, yeah, so if, yeah, any, I'm always happy to talk about my books and happy to answer any questions. So yeah, Twitter or, or Instagram. And then also um, I have a newsletter, uh, which you, the link you can find on my website. And I do a monthly newsletter. So if there's any giveaways or like news about new books coming out, that's sort of the place where you'll find it as well. Awesome. Yeah, newsletters are really important. So be sure and sign up for them for yeah. authors you enjoy, for sure. Uh, Layla, if someone wants to connect with you, where's the best place to find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at El Goshi or uh, Balladie Magazine, which is a uh, magazine I've just launched. Brilliant. Lots of stuff coming up for you on uh, yeah. lots of lots of great stuff you have planned. Yeah. Looking forward to it. And Chris, where can people find you? Uh, I'll actually push Shauna's TikTok. And the fact that there's a pre-order up for the second mm -hmm. book already, I think there's a special... Did you retweet that there was a reduced price for the second book available on yes. hardcover as well the other day? I, I think, is it Black, Black Dragon Books? Black, Black, yeah. Yes. So they are doing a pre-order discount on the words of kings and prophets. Uh, which is a really good discount. Um, yeah. So yes, and I've I've ordered books from them myself before. So um, they're a very good company. I think they um, they usually give money away to like the book trust and oh, very good. Um, yeah, so they're they're a nice online company that that are doing a good discount at the minute. So, yeah. but you can find me at my YouTube channel. I'm at name on Twitter at seven o'clock shadow or on the page June forms. Let's leave awesome. everybody else there. <laughs> you can find me on Vero or on uh, the Patreon forum is the best place to, to find me. So thanks again, everyone, for coming by and chatting with us. Thank you again, Sean. And we really appreciate you taking the time to, to chat with us and answer a bunch of questions for us. So. Oh, no, ask me anytime. I love coming on onto your, your channel. It's the best. <laughs> it's oh, yeah. Always. yeah I'm all, I'm, you can't tell, can tell me you enjoy it too much because then I'll be bugging you every week. So. <laughs> Oh, well, I think I've done a couple of your the Friday night ones, which, and it's really funny because once I start talking, <laughs> I, it's hard to hard to stop. So sometimes it's ending and it's gone midnight, and I'm still like, oh, yeah. <laughs> still, we still keep talking. <laughs> no, that's that's what's great about it is is we want you to talk because no one no one's here for us. We're here to to hear about you. So you know we want to hear about you. So that's great that you know it's a good thing, not a bad thing. But yep. always appreciate you taking the time. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. <laughs> Thanks again, everybody. Thanks, Layla and Chris, again, for coming by and, and enjoying the conversation. We'll talk to everyone soon. Take care. Bye-bye.